Hello, and welcome to the PetFinder Adoption Options Podcast, brought to you by PetFinder and Purina. I'm Katie Schmuke, and each week I'll be interviewing some of the best teachers in animal welfare to share their tips and tricks to help you get more pets adopted. Let's get this episode started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Adoption Options Podcast. This week, we have Dr. Annie Valeska. She is an animal behaviorist and research scientist here at Purina. She is so incredibly knowledgeable about animal behavior in general, but she also specializes in rabbit behavior and enrichment. And I learned so much from this episode. I know this is something we get a lot of requests for from our Pet Finder members, so I really think you're going to enjoy it, even if you don't necessarily have rabbits in your care right now. So without further ado, let's get it started. Hi, Annie. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're so excited to have you. Um, Let's start off by kind of just saying, you know, who you are and how you got started. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm an animal behaviorist at Purina. I'm on the pet behavior and welfare team, and I've worked there for about six and a half years now. My first exposure to animal behavior research happened in college. Um, While I was there, I was fortunate enough to do some field work with my animal behavior professor. So I spent two summers on an island called Kent Island off the coast of New Brunswick. Uh, and it's it's special and really draws scientists because this pelagic bird called a leech's storm petrel only nests there and a few other places. And they have a colony on that island that has been studied for about 50 years. And so I got to spend a few summers out there helping collect that data. And it was really fun. Uh, I was out there doing field work, you know, collecting the kind of information you'd see on nature specials. But I realized I wanted to do something a little more useful, I guess. I didn't want to be just finding stuff out for information's sake. I wanted to be solving a problem or answering a a question. So when I went for my PhD in animal behavior at the University of California, Davis, I wanted to study applied animal welfare. And the species that I chose for those studies was the laboratory rabbit. And that's where my my obsession with rabbits really started. and, And that's when I really came to love them as much as I do now. Um, They're a really interesting species, and at the time, it seemed that the key to improving their welfare in a laboratory environment was to try to socially house them, because rabbits have evolved from the European rabbit, which is a group living species, and everybody thought that they should be in groups in a lab as well. The problem is that when you try to put two unfamiliar rabbits of the same age and same sex, which is the situation labs are facing, when you try to put two of those guys together, you get a lot of fighting, a lot of aggression. Um, they are, they're not the cute, cuddly little things that everybody thinks they are. And so the goal of my doctoral work was to try to reduce the aggression that occurred during that initial introduction period. And to do that, I, I went into the literature and tried to learn as much about European rabbits as I could. And uh, it turns out that when they're forming social groups in the wild, the dominant male does a lot of scent marking. And some of those scent marks are chin gland secretions, and some of those scent marks are urine. And so I tried applying male rabbit urine to the two rabbits that were being paired. And what do you know? It did the trick. Uh, It it significantly reduced the aggression. They got along a lot better. And I've been fortunate to be able to share that work um, with audiences around the country and around the world. And uh, now a lot of labs are actually using that method to uh, socially house their rabbits, which was really cool. That is fascinating. I never knew that. 
So that's that's where my love of rabbits started. And then uh, after I, I graduated from UC Davis, I did my postdoc at Disney's Animal Kingdom, which is a, a zoo basically with, with Mickey Mouse in it in Orlando, <laughs> Florida. So I was doing the same kind of work there, managing the the welfare of the animals in their collection. But obviously there, there were no rabbits there. It was lions and tigers and bears and, and all those kinds of exotic animals. So I spent two years there and, and it was really fun, but I decided I needed to switch gears a little bit and started looking for a job in a, a totally different field of animal behavior. And um, that's how I found the Purina listing. And here we are. Can you talk a little bit about what you do for Purina and why Purina has animal behaviorists on our staff? Yeah. Um, so I think the simplest way to describe my job at Purina is that I get to be the voice of the pet. Um, you know, Purina, we're a pet food company and we really have two consumers. We have the people that are buying the food and then Ultimately, we have the pets that are eating the food. And it's my job to ensure that the cats and the dogs that whose owners are, are buying our products are as happy and content and satisfied with our food and treats as the owners are. So I spend my, my entire day trying to think like a dog and a cat and really see the world through their eyes and see our food through their eyes um, and really make sure that we are, are doing right by, by those consumers. So I want to talk a little bit about rabbit enrichment specifically. You know, it feels like in the animal welfare industry, we have so much information about dog enrichment. We have so much information about cat enrichment. And for the most part, I would say we do a pretty good job of it, or we know where to find resources. So can you talk a little bit specifically about why rabbit enrichment is important? Because I think that sometimes the small and furries can get a little bit forgotten. So so why is rabbit enrichment important in in a shelter kind of environment yeah i mean especially in a setting like that you know we're really responsible for the rabbit's entire world i think now more than ever maybe with many people still quarantined in their homes we can really start to understand the impact of having some of our control and some of our choices taken away it's not very fun and that's what our pet rabbits and cats and dogs for that matter are dealing with day in and day out. So it's really on us as their caretakers to provide the best environment for them that we possibly can. Yeah, I think that's super important. Can you talk a little bit about what happens if rabbits don't get enrichment? Yeah, so uh, they will almost certainly experience a reduction in welfare. Uh, another way to describe welfare is their well-being or their happiness, if you prefer. Um, and some of that reduction in welfare may be due simply to boredom and stress and just not having enough to do. But in the case of rabbits in particular, you're actually risking some real physical health problems uh, if there's not certain enrichment items being provided. So I'm speaking specifically about Timothy Hay, um, and I'll talk a, a little bit more about that when we get into the specifics of the kinds of enrichment you can provide for rabbits, but it's it's really like the gold star of rabbit enrichment. All right, well, I can't wait to hear more. Um, but before we get into that, I wanna talk a little bit, how is cat enrichment and dog enrichment different or similar from from rabbit enrichment because I think with with dog and cat enrichment specifically there tend to be a lot of similarities or kind of similar mindsets so what kind of differences if any do you see in rabbit enrichment yeah so there's certainly a lot of overlap in the goal of enrichment for all three species right ultimately we want to encourage desirable forms of species typical behavior and present undesirable stress-related behaviors from occurring. 
But you're right that the form that that enrichment take takes looks pretty different. And a lot of those differences come down to the behavioral needs that we're trying to meet. Dogs and cats are both predators. So a lot of the enrichment for them centers around trying to provide that hunting, foraging experience. Rabbits, on the other hand, are of course a prey species and their food source in the wild is abundant. So you're going to hear me recommend less feeding type enrichment for them and more ways to make them feel safe and in control of their environment. So I think that most shelters, I mean, especially right now when grants are limited and, you know, their grant money is going elsewhere, the enrichment budget tends to be a little bit forgotten. Um, so what are, what are some ways that you think that these organizations can get a little creative with their rabbit enrichment? Yeah. And I, I you know, I talked earlier about Timothy Hay. That's a, a simple, pretty cheap solution, but believe it or not, it is a great way to enrich rabbits just to give them pretty much constant access to Timothy Hay. And, and this option really knocks it out of the park for them because it's great for their teeth. They have teeth that are constantly growing because they've evolved in an environment where they're grazing all day long. Um, so giving them Timothy Hay to chew on all day is great for that. They also have a really specialized digestive system. It's a lot trickier than a cat or a dog's or a human's. Um, really needs to be kept, kept moving pretty much constantly. So the hay is great for that. And it also allows them to participate in a natural behavior that takes up a lot of their time in the wild, which is grazing. Uh, studies have shown that if you give rabbits adequate grazing and chewing opportunities, you're less likely to see some undesirable behaviors like bar biting. So that's when they're just seemingly obsessively chewing on the bars of their cage instead of some more suitable substrate. Um, you're also more likely to see over grooming if you don't give them a grazing uh, substrate. So this is when they, again, are almost obsessively licking the same part of their bodies. They may even be pulling out fur or have a bear patch there eventually. So those are things we, we don't want to see. And experts believe that those behaviors in particular are a displacement behavior for grazing. So if you can give them Timothy hay, they're less likely to do those things that, that we don't want them to, to do. Um, another really important, simple, cheap enrichment option for rabbits is shelter. Uh, and, and we know this because of a really cool study that was done several years ago. And this study asked rabbits to work for different resources. And the work they had to do was very species appropriate. They had to, to essentially burrow through a door and the door got heavier and heavier as the study went on. And so by seeing how heavy of a door the rabbits were willing to push, we could compare how highly they valued the resources that were behind that door. So in this particular study, the rabbits were asked to work for food, uh, a shelter, extra space, and access to another rabbit. And what the study found was that rabbits were willing to work as hard, and in some cases even harder, for access to the shelter as they were for access to food. So obviously this shelter is hugely important to them. And, and that makes sense, right? They're prey animals, as I said, and they were domesticated from the European rabbit, which spends its entire life in this complicated underground burrow system. So makes sense that, that they would want that shelter. But the second interesting thing they found in that study was that even though the rabbits were working really hard and, and pushing against this really heavy weight to get to the shelter, they were almost never observed using it as a shelter. They were more likely to be on top of it than underneath it. And the authors of that study believed that just having it there in case they felt they needed it was valuable enough that they were willing to do the work. So 
Based on those findings, I'd advise every shelter housing rabbits to ensure that every rabbit enclosure has a spot in it that they can go to to feel a little safer. And even if you never see the rabbits using it, that doesn't mean that they don't appreciate having it in there. It's really important to be in there. Right. So shelter and Timothy. Hey, that sounds yeah. easy enough. <laughs> and another way that shelters can likely capitalize on something they already have is to use a puppy playpen that they have hanging around to give rabbits some time for exercise. Um, they really do appreciate that time to stretch their legs, to stand up fully, to explore a new space. Um, make sure that there's a, a shelter in there too um, and include a few toys for the rabbits to explore and, and you'll see them scent mark those toys too, which is again, a natural behavior we want to encourage. If all the rabbits at, at a shelter are healthy, they can be rotated through the playpen without cleaning it in between. And this will provide some olfactory enrichment for the rabbits in, in the form of the scent of the rabbits that came before them. And if shelters have a male and a female who are both spayed or neutered, um, they could even consider trying to let them out together uh, as I mentioned earlier, rabbits are social animals, and uh, so, so social enrichment can be a really powerful tool in a shelter's arsenal if they have multiple rabbits, uh, especially in, in short bouts like that. Hmm. Shelters should be able to know within about 20 minutes if it's going to be a good match. Um, in, in my experience with pairing lots and lots and lots of rabbits, um, if you don't see a, a scuffle within the first 20 minutes, they're, they're probably going to get along great. Well, that's good. I know nobody wants to break up a rabbit fight. I've heard those. No. <laughs> Very tough. <laughs> so I want to ask a quick question on that. Now, is there a need or is it kind of a nice to have to try to bring a playpen like outside or is it okay to keep it inside? Is there any difference that, you, that you've seen with that? Uh, in my experience, rabbits generally feel safer inside. Okay. The benefit of being outside, of course, is that there's a whole lot more going on. So there's a lot more to smell, a lot more to see. But if you can bring some of that indoors, you know, if you wanted to, to leave some of the toys outside and then bring them in so that they have that odor on it, or if you want to set up a, a TV for rabbits to watch, um, that kind of thing, that's great. You know, the more enriching you can make that playpen, the better. But I think you can still provide them a great experience with the playpen set up inside. That's great. And so how regularly should shelters be practicing this type of enrichment and, and for how long? And especially, I think, you know, I think it's pretty clear that they should always have access to the Timothy Hay and they should always have some kind of shelter. Um, but with regards to that playpen kind of thing or getting them some exercise, how often should they be doing that? So in terms of the exercise itself, I would say as often as possible, but you should shoot for at least once a week if you can. Um, but if I can just get on my, my soapbox here for a minute, I love this question. And I would love to see shelters th shift from thinking about enrichment as some activity that needs to be checked off a list and instead see enrichment as something that can and should be incorporated at every phase of the rabbit's care. You know, I, I really challenge shelters to think of a way to make every touch point they have with their rabbits more enriching. So for example, can they scatter the food occasionally in the cage instead of putting it in a dish? Do they have an extra 15 seconds to stop and talk to the rabbit and give it some pets before they, they move on to the next animal they're caring for? We have a lot of data that shows animals, rabbits really value uh, human contact, that that's important to them. Uh, do the, the staff have a few seconds to rearrange the cage furniture, maybe put the shelter in a different spot or switch out the toys? Or what about hanging the toys from the, the bars of the cage or, putting them in a different spot instead of just leaving them in the same spot in the enclosure. 
So again, just just really, it's going to require a paradigm shift. But but thinking about it differently and, and trying to change every interaction they have with those those animals, and then the the second half of that is I really encourage them to pay attention to the rabbits and ensure that the enrichment that they're putting this time into is actually being effective. Um, if it's working, shelters should see active rabbits who are moving around, they're standing up, they're looking around, they're grazing on hay or they're chewing on the toys you've put in there. They are using their chin to scent mark their environment. They're occasionally using their shelter. Um, their body language should be relaxed. That's maybe ears back, fully stretched out, laying on their side. You might hear some little honks that they make toward their caretakers. You might hear a very soft, um, they, they call it a purr, but it, it's really made with their teeth, but it's a very soft sound. Um, on the other hand, if there's a little room for improvement, you're not gonna see those behaviors. And instead you're going to see rabbits that are lethargic. They're not moving around much. They might be sitting in a hunched posture with their ears up, very alert. You may hear a very loud, like nails on a chalkboard grinding sound. Um, that can be a, a sign that they actually need veterinary intervention. That's not a good noise to hear. Um, you may see some of that over grooming or bar biting that I mentioned earlier, um, or you may hear them stomping their feet. That's a, that's a sign that they're not happy that they feel threatened by something in the environment. So really pay attention to the rabbit's behavior and, and use that as a guide of whether they could use a little bit more, more enrichment or not. And so if, if you are experiencing that kind of negative reaction to the enrichment that you're using. Is that something where you should immediately start trying something else or give them a break for a little bit? Uh, yeah, I would say if, if, say, you're putting them in the exercise pen and, and you're starting to see that kind of freaked out behavior, if they have a, a shelter in the pen, that should mitigate it. But even if they have a shelter and they're still acting like that, it's, uh, yeah, that's probably a little overwhelming for that particular bunny. And I would advise working with him or her on more human socialization so that, that they come to, to know the staff and feel comfortable with the staff. And that can be a source of security when you try the enrichment pen again. Great. That's awesome. I love what you said about kind of creating that mindset shift because it seems like something so simple to just add a couple seconds to your, to your thought process and say, how can I make this experience more enjoyable for this animal? So I think it's, it takes practice for sure, but I love that it's something that can be so as simple as rearranging their furniture. I think that's definitely. So, so let's talk a little bit about enrichment once they're out of the shelter environment and once they're adopted. What do you think are some ways that we can encourage doctors to kind of continue that enrichment once they're in a home environment? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would argue that it's impossible to have a healthy, happy pet rabbit without some form of enrichment, especially if those owners are seeing enrichment as I've described it, which is something that's interwoven into daily life with a rabbit. I think the best advice I could give to pet owners is to learn as much as you can about your pets. And I mean that in a very general sense in terms of learning about rabbits. Uh, and this is not only how to care for a house rabbit, but also learning a little more about European rabbits, the, the animals these guys were domesticated from, what their natural history is like, what their sensory capabilities are like, um, that kind of thing. And then also pay attention to your individual rabbit, learn his behaviors, learn what he likes, uh, learn what scares him. You know, the, the more you understand about the pet that you're sharing your home with, the better you're going to be able to think like a rabbit. And that is really the key to being a successful pet parent. I think that's fantastic. So where can people go 
to learn more about, you know, enrichment in a shelter or even even where can people direct their adopters to continue that enrichment? Uh, my absolute favorite book about caring for a rabbit is Marinelle Harriman's book called House Rabbit Handbook, How to Live with an Urban Rabbit. Uh, that is a great place to start. And she has a lot of resources in there that can offer additional reading. Uh, for those that are, are curious about trying to think like a rabbit, um, Margot DeMello has a book called Stories Rabbits Tell. Um, it's, it's a great book. It doesn't offer much practical advice on caring for a pet rabbit, but it has so many interesting facts on rabbits' natural history and the role that they've played in our culture and society. And it's really going to set you off on the right foot um, when it comes to thinking like a rabbit. I really enjoyed that one. That's great. And I'll be sure to add those links in our um, kind of podcast description so people can easily access. Great. That. All right. So with that, I will wrap it up. But thank you so much for being on here. I learned so much. I feel like I don't know much about rabbits, but now I know so much more and I kind of want to add <laughs> one to my fur family. <laughs> but this is amazing. Thank you so much for. Yeah, my on. pleasure. I'll talk about rabbits anytime. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode with Dr. Annie. I hope you learned something new. And if you're interested in learning more about, you know, Purina's nutrition and our science and um, just kind of the research behind all of our innovation, please visit our website at www.purinainstitute.com. I think it's just an amazing resource for anyone, even if you're not in animal welfare, just to learn about some of the cool science that we have. So thanks again for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Adoption Options Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give us a rating on your podcast platform. If you're on Facebook, please search for our Adoption Options Closed Community Facebook group to be the first to know about new episodes, hear from our speakers, and connect with your animal welfare peers. We'll see you next week.